When it comes to investing, retirement, legacy planning, taxes, or health care, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found the Premier Retirement Radio Show with Jeff Bogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and to retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Bogan. And now, here's Jeff Bogan with Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about current events, in particular, disinflation. We'll also be talking about Jeff's case of the week in which an investment advisor didn't quite have a totally comprehensive plan and how Jeff maybe came to the rescue on that. We've also got your listener questions and later on in the program, we'll be talking about 10 strategies for investing after to retirement. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great. Always good to be with you and uh, listeners in this area. It's a fun time. Just That's right. Take a break and talk. That's right. Talk about finances, your money. After all, it is only your retirement, all the money that you have saved for your retirement. We want to make sure that you have a retirement in which you thrive, not just survive. Anyway, glad everybody could join us this week on the radio program. Jeff, let us begin with what is happening in current events today. You know, there was an article, Jeff, I read that said disinflation theme boosts the markets. Now, I know that the markets have been boosted a little bit lately, but let's talk about disinflation. Disinflation would be the opposite of inflation in that inflation is going backward. How do you feel about that headline and does it really reflect what's going on with the markets? No, it really reflects where our society is and where our government has conditioned us to believe in disinformation and lies as if it's information and good stuff. I mean, you know, we could tell Bidenomics. Bidenomics has created about 25% of locked-in inflation, and it's still going up in excess of 3% year to year. And keep in mind, the summertime, because I don't know why, maybe people are just camping and out and about not doing quite as much stuff, but, you know, the inflation level last year also, that was when, you know, Biden was out there talking about how, oh, it's only up like a little bit. It's just like only up an inch. And even though it's up a lot, it's uh, only gone up a little bit this month. And so, you know, we expect the summertime to kind of cool down. The other thing is, is there's been huge information about lower um, consumption. Consumers aren't buying stuff. Shoot, Netflix just a couple of days ago got, uh, you know, horrible earnings. I mean, mm-hmm. shoot, if people are deciding not to pay 10 or 15 bucks just, you know, to have some entertainment on a regular basis, which is kind of like a no-brainer expense. If people are cutting that kind of stuff to where Netflix revenues are suffering and, you know, it tanks the NASDAQ 2% and, you know, Thursday morning or whatever, because and, and supposedly led by you know Netflix and others. But there's just a lot of hype and BS. You know, I'm starting to feel like we were back in the, the late 90s when I was still kind of young in the business. You know, I'd only been in there about a decade at that point. And all I'd seen was the 90s, which were kind of the roaring 90s. And we saw this hype about the internet and, you know, anything that had a dot com on it was going to the moon and the market was in a whole new space and it didn't matter. Earnings were fine. And even though companies had no earnings 
potential or they were losing money hand over fist and just, you know, Merrill Lynch and other companies are out there just raising tens and hundreds of billions of dollars of bonds for companies like WorldCom, which were defunct and basically bankrupt. Just, you know, saying they were in the internet business, you know, throwing internet cables and fiber optics out there and pretending they had a business model and the stock was going through the moon and, and stuff. I, I feel that's the same way with this like AI craze. I think that's probably more to do. And we'll probably, <laughs> I should probably come back to that because I'm still talking about the disinflation misinformation. But, you know, there's a lot of things that are making the market throw us some head fakes and make us think like it's doing stuff that, you know, indicates that there's some great economy out here. And, you know, we even have some people saying, oh, there's not going to be a recession now. I think Goldman Sachs. Oh, it's official because Goldman Sachs, you guys said it wasn't going to happen. Well, what about the official that it was going to happen a month ago from them? You know, I mean, everybody has a chance to change their mind. So what changed? Oh, well, we got some earnings reports from a few companies that, you know, maybe banks made a higher profit than they thought because, you know, they didn't go out of business this month because whatever. You know, a couple of companies got a few extra sales or they wrote off something against, you know, their bookkeeping that made it look like they're they're okay. But the bottom line is revenues are not growing robust. The only thing that's growing in a robust way is market prices, typically on NASDAQ or tech stocks that supposedly have something to do with AI, the artificial intelligence, right? So, mm-hmm. or the, yeah, is it really artificial intelligence? I think it's just artificial programming and they believe it's intelligence so right, they will right. buy into it and let it manipulate us into believing crap that isn't true. For example, disinflation, excuse me, it's up over 3%. That is inflation. Inflation at 1% is inflation. Inflation at 8 or 9%, yeah, it's almost bordering hyperinflation where we were. But the fact is, is we haven't given back any of it. If the inflation was down negative three, we go, oh, yay, good disinflation. We're going back to the way it was. We're going to get these 20% rate hikes on food and gas or 40 or 50%, 100% on some stuff that we're paying more now than we were paying a year or two ago. Those prices are still up and they're still going up 3% per year, year over year, the 3% above what it was a year ago. Now, that doesn't count all the other year over year gains month to month or quarter to quarter that they report that happened between July last year to July this year. That's just just this month compared to last month and the uh, amount of increase that it made wasn't as high. So there's a lot of manipulation with the jargon that's used, the words that they use to play on people. And I don't know what it is, is these chemtrails that they've been spraying out in the air for the last 10 years has Mm -hmm. made us stupid or made us complacent or docile or made us to where we have to just believe everything we hear because it's on TV or because somebody in the government said so. Oh my gosh, the government's the only place that you get elected to and you can start lying legally. (laughs) Think about it. I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, think about it. Every congressman, you know, you got these guys up there lying about everything and they, it's all politically bent to, you know, create their agenda and it doesn't matter what side you're talking about. They all can lie. Now, if you're a Democrat, you probably believe everything they say is truth. And if you're a Republican, you believe everything they say is lies. And guess what? On both sides are probably all lies. Or the majority of it is because (laughs) they're trying to push agendas. The same thing with this economic crap. Oh, the economy's good. You know what? Maybe we won't have a recession. Maybe we'll do a head fake. But all I know is everything is at historically overvalued rates. Mm -hmm. Everything points to a recession other than, you know, current earnings boost by a couple of companies that came out. But then, you know, two days later, we have this like a consumer staple called Netflix. I mean, honestly, it's cheaper than any cable. Oh, yeah. 
if, if people are dropping Netflix at 10 bucks a month or whatever it is, maybe 20 if you have a whole family deal, I mean, people are pinching pennies. That doesn't sound like the economy is good. It's these little tiny, you know, membership sites, these consumer, the things that the consumer buys is telling us how healthy the economy is. Just because a company can cook its books and make it look like they're making money or just because the AI frenzy or this, you know, the hoopla that they all talk about AI, look at everybody's going to benefit by AI. Look at, oh, we got chat GPT at Microsoft. Microsoft stock, you know, goes up 50% in the next few months because chat GPT. How much do they make on chat GPT? I don't think they charge anything for it. No, they it's don't charge. They, do. they don't charge anything for it, Jeff. And I've asked chat GPT a number of things. And if you ask it anything that is beyond 2021, it really can't answer it. And it says that I only go up to 2021 because it's sort of scouring the internet and the information that was available prior to 2021. So I guess the question to you is, Jeff, you know, you talked about the Democrats, the Republicans, all this biased stuff. Is there any unbiased financial news out there that people can really count on? Or should they simply just take everything with a grain of salt? Well, I mean, there's still fundamentals. I mean, there's still fundamentals that go back in statistics and you can see what price earnings ratios are. You can see what like a Schiller index is. You can see, you know, there's certain charting services and certain trends and things like that that do show us what happens in history. If you look at what actually happens in history and base your decisions on that, I think you're going to be right more often than you'd be wrong. But if you base it on what's on the news, they're throwing out so much manipulative stuff. And like I said, you know, getting back like chat GPT, it's old news. How are they making money on it? But how is it that the top five or six companies grow in the last six months by three and a half trillion dollars in market capitalization without more earnings? The earnings aren't going up. In fact, the earnings keep getting revised down. Yet the stock, those stocks have grown by $3 trillion when the entire revenue generated by the AI industry might come in around 2 or $3 trillion, which is less than the market cap growth in just a few months on these stocks. So it reminds me of the dot-com era where everybody was buying stocks just because it was the thing to do and stupid money was buying it. The institutions, even back then, I think they were kind of buying into that too, thinking that the frenzy was going to continue to go. But that's typically, if I follow the smart money and I look at where it's at right now, there's still more investment officers that think there's too much risk to be buying into the market, but they're loving the fact that people are willing to pay $400 for a stock that should be trading at 75 or 350 for a stock that should be trading at 250. They're happy to sell that stock to you because the market makers are the inventory holders. The market makers are the Merrill Lynch's, the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanley's, Citibank's, JP Morgan's. Everybody who's these big firms, these big institutions, they're the ones that hold the majority of stock. They hold inventory. That's how they're worth, you know, billions and trillions of dollars, right? If there's people out they want to buy it and are willing to pay more for the stock than the market value, they're happy to sell it to you and create a new market value because that's what somebody's willing to pay now. But the institutions are not buying stock from each other or they're not bidding up the stocks from the consumers. Hey man, we're hoarding NVIDIA stock. We want to keep buying at a higher and higher price. Maybe some are because you know the momentum says it's going to go up and maybe it's the chip of choice in the AI world. But there's just a lot of garbage going on and a lot of noise out there that is not supported by fundamentals. And that scares me, honestly. It makes me feel like like I'm in the 90s again, where we're on the brink of this can that keeps getting kicked down the road. Greenspan called it irrational exuberance. I think we're in the irrational exuberance. The fact is interest rates are going up. Housing sales are like a third of what they used to be when interest rates were down. You know, okay, inventory is not up, but people know they can't sell a house with high interest rates because they can't get their price. So they're just not putting them up for sale. So, you know, is that really a strong market concept or fundamental? Maybe a little bit, but the fact is, is everything costs more than it used to. Nobody's buying stuff they used to, not nobody, but you know, half the economy isn't buying stuff they used to. 75% of the people, the consumers think the economy's in worse shape 
they then apparently Wall Street tries to tout that it is. And Wall Street would love you to believe that we're not going into recession. You know why? Because Goldman Sachs is, oh, we're not going into recession. We're all out of the woods. Uh, this earnings from three companies this week uh, mean that everything's hunky-dory and we're not going into recession. Well, after the yield curve inverts, which it did a year ago, about, what, June of last year, typically between 11 and 14 months is the average time frame that a recession hit. So they're kind of looking for it right now. But if you look at the actual stats going back, you know, over 50 years when, you know, seven or eight times this has happened, the recession happens between six and 24 months later. So it doesn't always happen between 11 and 24. We may still get something six months from now because, you know, the government's still posturing, Wall Street's still manipulating our minds with jargon and disinformation about disinflation, which is still hogwash. I think the Fed's still going to raise interest rates coming up, I guess, any day now this month and maybe even next month or the month after that. I, I think there's going to be two more rate hikes just like they promised earlier in the year. I think they've discounted that as if they're not going to happen because uh, inflation isn't growing as fast. Somehow we don't have to keep you know monitoring interest rates and doing things to conti- continually monitor our interest rates being so out of whack. I mean, we can't have inflation even growing at 3 or 4% continually, compounding on top of the 20 or 25% that we've already had over the last 25 years and have that be a sustainable sustainable economic goal when more and more middle class are being priced out of even the middle class markets to buy stuff. So I think it's just more crap. It's just more uh, misinformation, you know, and they, they try to censor all the stuff that we hear, but they're happy to tell us that there's disinflation when it's still going up at three. It just blows my mind that 99% of the people, not just listening to this show, but anywhere, no matter what party they're affiliated, can't read that go, oh, Inflation is up 3%. That's disinflation. They've got to know that that doesn't make sense based on second and third grade English words. I mean, excuse me. Up is up. Down is down. This means down. It's just crazy. Sometimes they just want us to think that a you know a round object is a triangle, and if we sell it enough, people will believe that it is a triangle. But I think the takeaway here is don't be influenced too much by what you read in the media, what you hear in the media. I think really what you should do is consult with a financial advisor who really can lay it all out for you. Our show is called Premier Retirement with Jeff Fogan. And uh, Jeff, of course, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. If all this is confusing to you and you're interested in how disinflation or inflation is going to affect your retirement, I encourage you to call Jeff there at the office and get your Premier Retirement Roadmap at no cost and no obligation. Jeff will cover an income plan, investments that support that income plan, a tax plan, health care costs, and estate plan, but most importantly, answer your your questions that are keeping you up at night about how you're going to retire and stay retired. There's no cost for this. There is no obligation. It's simply a conversation with Jeff to get your questions answered. To get yours, call 520-780-9059. 520-780-9059. You can also request your plan online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Once again, 520-780-9059. One call could make all the difference. Jeff, let's talk about the case of the week. This is something that we're going to do on the show every week, and we're going to sort of recap a case that you had this week and a problem that one of your clients had or potential clients had without naming names. Can you fill us in on what you talked about with this potential client or client this past week? Oh, I got to name names. It's John and Mary. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. It's just Jane Doe and John Doe. <laughs> anyway, well, I mean, we'll, we'll throw some names. We'll, we'll just throw some names. Just, they're, they're fictitious. But this is a real case. I actually, it's funny you said, yeah, we're going to do a case of the week. What was your case of the week? I actually, this week was actually a, a vacation week, and I decided based on weather not to go on vacation. Right. So I'm just hanging around here, and I ended up having a few emails. And I got this email from a client that has been with me just under a year, basically finished up the first year. Now, let me back up a little bit. Just kind of, uh, a lot of people say, gosh, Jeff, you know, you don't have that many people 
people in your office, but man, you do this huge amount of work and you have so many clients. How do you do this? Well, we outsource a lot of that. We have a trading team. We have management teams. We have compliance people we hire that, you know, they work out of different offices. We outsource a lot of that stuff so we don't have to have 100 employees here to babysit. But organizations like mine that are independent, that are fiduciaries, there's about 500 of us that have bonded together through a particular organization that's based in the Midwest. And we share best practices. And so we basically talk to each other about, you know, how we diversify, how we use more than just portfolio management. Because when you get to retirement, you know, the people in, in our business were very retirement focused. And so we talk to other people that do similar business like us. There's probably 10 or 12 of us in Arizona. There's five or 10 in every state. And you know, we got about 500 of us nationwide. I mean, we've got just on the portfolio side, over 20 billion under management. We've got probably another 50 billion in uh, annuities and life insurance products because they create safety. And we have an estate planning team and help us do trust if they're, you know, beyond the scope of what we do in our particular office. So there's these teams of support organizations that are so good at what they do, I can't even hire those people. So instead, I just share my fees with them. And we also share best practices and have meetings several times a year. So let me back up from that. So that might just help, help uh, other people understand why, you know, I do most of the talking and why I'm able to visit with, you know, almost everybody that comes in. I, you know, have a couple of assistants and servicing agents that take care of some menial staff. I have some uh, admin, I have appointment setters and things that just basically manage operations here in Tucson and then a, a staff in, in Mesa. But we have access to so many things. You would think that we're a huge company. Well, we are when you combine all those different assets. So anyway, this client comes to me about a year ago. They moved from a different state, happened to be working with one of the people in our network, which is kind of, well, not that we don't try to steal other people's clients or, or protect them, but here's the deal. We're all independent. They wanted to move and they wanted to have somebody a little bit closer. And I said, well, let me just look at what your situation. They had been from another state. And some of the stuff that we talk about in these, what we call best practice meetings is, you know, how we diversify, how we don't just use stocks, bonds, and cash. How when you get to a retirement standpoint, you like some predictable guaranteed income. So we might use income annuities or an annuity with an income rider or index annuities that keep your money safe and protect principles so that you can rely on that for your income and withdrawals for the next five or 10 years. In case the market's a little ugly, you can wait on that money. We use life insurance products for tax-free income or for that little slush bucket money that's a Roth alternative, but it's like a Roth on steroids because you can borrow from your death benefit tax-free and it never shows up as income. It never gets 1099 to you like Roth income does. It never increases the amount of income you show the IRS or you show the Medicare people to charge you more for your Medicare premiums, et cetera. And I, I go into a lot of stuff and hopefully really all I'm doing is creating a, a lot of questions for the uh, listener saying, hmm, my advisor hasn't talked to me about that. Should I be thinking about this? And if you should, you should be dealing with somebody that does more comprehensive planning like us. So anyway, we all do this comprehensive planning. So they went to this comprehensive plan. I go, oh, I know that person. They go to some of my meetings and um, I looked at the plan and sure enough, they had diversified. This particular case was about just shy of $2 million without counting the home. And they had, you know, about three quarters of it still in market stuff. And these people really didn't have a, a risk tolerance. Most of the money was the wife's, call her Jane. And I said, well, why do you only have this tiny little LERP life insurance policy that might generate 10 or 15,000 in tax-free income in a few years when you're done funding it, when your taxable income's over $150,000 and your gross income that's showing up on your tax returns is around 200. You know, when you're in a 200 income level, and even if it's not all taxable, if it's your income, Medicare will increase your Medicare premium. So that's one, it's like an extra tax just because you make too much as a married couple. And there's some things that they can't really do away with because they've got pensions and social security. They're just getting close to that age where, you know, in a few years, they're going to have to start taking the required minimum distributions out. And when I looked at their situation, I said, man, if you want to keep living on 150, you're going to have to keep all this income up. And this little tiny life insurance plan is not working for you. We need to accelerate 
operate this and you should have had maybe $100,000 going into Alerp every year, at least put maybe a third of the 2000 maybe six or 700000 total into a plan where your money is now stealth. And by the way, you don't actually use LERP money. Life insurance retirement plans, principal protected. You use life insurance just to get a tax break. Essentially, you're borrowing from your death benefit. You're living on your death benefit while you live. You typically can get two to three times what you put into it out in income that never shows up on your tax return. So instead of having 15000 a year, we had to bump it to where it's more like forty-five or fifty, so that now that income that shows up anywhere near a tax return grosses out at less than one hundred and fifty, and the taxable income is down around a hundred. So basically, what the case was was they had dabbled into a comprehensive plan, but didn't do enough. We revitalized the plan and said, "Hey, by the way." Oh, gee. And they weren't very happy that we're down about, what, three fifty dollars or $400,000 in market losses last year, which they, although it didn't derail their plan because they had, well, sheep particularly, had saved quite a bit. And they had some good pension money, some other things that were, you know, helping solve their income problem. You know, I mean, they, they live okay. So it didn't totally ruin the problem, but it made them sick and they don't want to lose money. I said, well, okay, well, why don't we take another 500000 or so and put it in some principal protected asset that can't go backwards anymore? Oh, and if the market goes up like it has, it'll gain. I mean, She's on an annualized rate of return just in the last few months of about 12, 12 and 13% per year. It's something that has no risk of principal. Well, that's pretty good upside, even though, you know, if you want go year to date, the market, uh, you know, NASDAQ's a little bit better than that. The market's up about that. But, you know, if you take last year's losses into consideration, which this would not have lost anything, you would have been adding gains. So we just basically took a plan that had started looking, it, it basically dabbled in the realm of comprehensive and we tweaked it to where now the taxes are going from, you know, 35 to 40,000 a year in taxes. And as soon as we get done funding in the next four or five years, the taxes are going to be under $20,000 a year. So you're, you're saving somewhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 in taxes on income if you'll just do the plan. Now, here's the rub. People forget why we make plans and why sometimes tweaking a plan might seem a little weird at first. And here's the thing. There is a million and a half dollars in qualified funds that are going to be taxable at age 73. And these two people are about 68. So five years from now, they're going to be forced to take out sixty or $80,000, that's if it doesn't grow, probably eighty dollars to $100,000 in forced income as a required minimum distribution have to pay tax on it, whether they need it or not. Now, they're already living on about thirty to forty of it anyway. Well, why not lock that in at thirty or forty for the rest of your life, but move all the rest of your money to something that's tax-free and can still generate forty or 50000 more in tax-free income? What that means is over the next five years, you're going to pay an extra fifteen dollars or $20,000 in taxes for five years. But remember, we just dropped the tax levels, $20,000 for the rest of these people's lives. So in five more years, so all they have to do is make it to 78 and they break even. Anything after 78, they're saving taxes. Now, if Jane, who's very healthy, very healthy, in fact, she got more LERP. She's 68 years old and got a super preferred rate. So she's really healthy. What if she lives to 100? If she lives to 100, that's over $1.5 million in tax-free income, still about a half a million or more in tax-free legacy money, what's left of the death benefit. And if you look at that from a taxable standpoint, had she left it in her IRA, in order to net that type of income, she would have had to pay a lot more than 500000 I should say he, they, because even though it's her IRAs predominantly, he has a pension. He didn't get an IRA, he just got a pension. So he's got income that we can't really do anything about. But her situation, we've got to change and manipulate, but we've got to do the whole thing. We've got to do the math. We've got to show it on a spreadsheet. That's what we do on our roadmap. So we find out, okay, by paying $15,000 more in taxes, so pay $75,000 more in taxes now for the next five years, 
you'll save about 500000 in taxes over the course of your retirement. Is that a good trade? I mean, where can you invest $75,000 right now and know you're going to get a return of four or five times that or more? You can't. You can do it on tax planning, though. If we know what the tax code is, we already know they're in the 25 or 28 bracket for the rest of their lives. Why not be zero? Oh, and by the way, what if they could save about 1500 to 2000 a year just on Medicare premiums? Oh, and what if down the road they adjust Social Security based on your income? And instead of their adjusted gross income being around 200, now their adjusted gross income is around 130. Well, I, I would anticipate that they'd be seen as maybe less of a rich person, even though they're living on more spendable money than they would if everything was coming in on the tax column as the tax adjusted gross taxable income. So again, the case of the week is just somebody who had dabbled in it, thought they were doing okay, but the only reason they thought they weren't, uh, they weren't even think they weren't doing okay. They came in bragging about the plan and just said they just wanted more of a local guy to look it over. I said, yeah, I can look it over and I could do the same stuff. Stuff. We're just going to do the complete plan. They never saw it on a spreadsheet. They never saw what they were doing now, how it was going to affect them five or 10 or 20 years down the road. They never saw the full picture. What I do is I put it on a full picture. And if what they're doing doesn't make the perfect picture, we paint a better one mm-hmm. and we tweak it a little bit to make it better. So again, the reason I got a call is why are my taxes going up 20,000? I think I want to go back to the old guys because my taxes were lower. I said, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Over the course of your retirement, you're going to save about half a million more in taxes than you would have if you'd gone the other way. Oh, Okay, that's a pretty good investment. Yeah, tax planning is an investment. You may have to pay a little bit now on less money than you will later over the course of your lifetime over the next couple of decades, three decades, maybe more on more money because you're going to have to pay as you go as that income comes out at full tax rates. That's the case of the week. And Jeff, that is a great example of the sort of comprehensive plans that you do there at Premier Retirement and how you really lay things out and help people understand their taxation strategy, also their investment plans. If you've listened to this conversation and you're saying to yourself, you know, I really need somebody to show me how this works and to lay it out in a manner that I can really understand it and I want a comprehensive plan, I invite you to call Jeff at Premier Retirement and sit down and talk with Jeff. It's called our Premier Retirement Roadmap. The number to call is is 520-780-9059. Now keep in mind, there's no cost, no obligation. It's not going to cost you a dime, no judgment. 520-780-9059. Shelly will gather some basic information from you and put you on Jeff's calendar. It'll be a brief conversation. It'll be about 30 minutes or so, but it could be the best time investment that you'll ever make. Once again, 520-780-9059. No cost, no obligation for that. You can also request your plan online at premred.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Time for a break, Jeff. When we come back, we've got listener questions later on in the show. We'll be talking to you about why it's important to invest all the way into and through retirement. All that and more when our show continues here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Hogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management in Tucson and also up in Mesa. If you're just joining us, remember we are a podcast. If you've missed any part of the show or you want to hear it all over again for clarification, simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search Jeff Vogan Premier Retirement Podcast. You will find this show and others right there. And we do post a new podcast every week for you. If you want to make it simple, just simply Google Jeff Vogan Premier Retirement podcast and you'll find many different places that you can hear this program. And once again, if you'd like your premier retirement roadmap, no cost, no obligation, the number to call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059 or online at premret. 
Premier-Remart.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, questions of the week. This week, we'll start off with Steve in Oro Valley, and he says, Hi, Jeff, I've been listening for the last couple of years. I want to thank you for providing insights and helpful guidance as I approach retirement. We're trying to get a grip on family legacy. We have two great daughters, both in their late teens. One is on the autism spectrum. We hope that she'll thrive and be self-supporting, but the jury's still out on that. Do you have any guidance on family legacy? Now, I'm not looking for legal advice. I'm more curious if you've had any observations from the collective wisdom of your clients and yourself that you've gained in your walk in life. Thank you for your advice. Yeah, well, thank you. And welcome to the autism community. Boy, it's a trip. Uh, I think, you know, the more I realize it, and I, I think you, but based on your question, you probably know that I, I have a, a daughter with autism. Actually, she just passed away. I don't know if I've announced that on the radio, but mm-hmm. made it to her 24th birthday. But I'm going to get a little tender talking about autism and, yeah, bless her. and my daughter here. But anyway, one of the things that, you know, I think is important to do with anybody who's on the spectrum, and you know, we do participate in Autism Society here in, in Tucson quite a bit. We're the title sponsor on almost all their activities. And because of that, a lot of people have come to us for not legal advice, but for our estate planning advice. I am a certified estate planner. I'm not an attorney and I'm not going to try to get you out of some legal mess, but I can tell you how to set up a trust that would protect your daughter's shares. You know, one of the things that, you know, most people do that have any type of special needs children, uh, whether it's a you know high functioning spectrum or low functioning spectrum, uh, your daughter might be very high functioning in some ways, but be really horrible with money. And you still want to protect that asset from creditors, predators, and just her own uh, inability to manage money. Mm-hmm. So you can do what's called a special needs trust. And that can be just a section for her benefit in a regular living trust where you could put the more, I guess, functional daughter, the one that's not on the spectrum that maybe uh, has a little bit better focus on and handle on managing money that could actually take care of sister. Hopefully they're, you know, they get along. You know, our kids, I got to tell you, I was blessed that every one of our children just loved Megan to death and would have done anything. It would have totally been their caregiver, you know, had Megan outlived any of them or us. But, you know, if that's the case with you and bless her if she is willing to do that, because it it is a burden and is is trouble in many cases. But it's also a blessing to uh, be able to serve one of those special children of our Father in Heaven. So try to stay out of the emotional realm here. Back to that. You know, a special needs trust, you can put as about as many provisions as you want on how that money would be paid out. But here's a big key, and that is if there's any benefits, for example, my daughter was in a care home and she had a lot of DDD and state benefits that kind of helped cover some of those expenses because she was an adult. We did still have guardianship and oversaw all of her care, but there were certain programs that were available to her that took basically her disability, social security, paid for some of them. And then there was a little bit of discretionary cash that we managed. But if we ever died and left her million dollars or whatever as her share of the estate or whatever it comes out, hundred thousand, ten dollars or ten million, whatever it is, if she would have access to it and if it were not to be protected by a special needs trust or a trustee would have the ability to pay for any care that she needed, then no state or government entity would be required or obligated in any way to take care of her until that money was spent. So, you know, given the fact that you and I and all of us have been faithful taxpayers, we've had the uh, extra workload of having to maybe deal with somebody on the spectrum that needs a little bit of extra help. And yet we still paid into the system and other very willing people have paid tax money and I'm willing to pay tax money. I, and I have no problem with my tax money going to people that can't take care of themselves in a full benefit or even totally disabled to whatever they are on the spectrum. So I have no problem with you wanting to take advantage of making sure that those government benefits that you and every other taxpayer that's willing to pay for those benefits is still there and available for your daughter when the time comes. Now, there are people that I think milk welfare and cheat and finagle and, you know, this wouldn't be the case. But anyway, do a special needs trust so you can protect those assets so that your other daughter and other family members and other entities that you want to leave money to are taken care of, but also that you leave that asset set aside so that if 
ever something happened where government benefits were reduced, if the trust funds of the state that she's in go broke and they're not able to supply those benefits, that that inheritance that you leave for her is in the trust and available for her future needs should she need them or not have them covered. You know, if you don't do that and the government ends up spending your money and then you get back on, you know, the disability and, you know, department aid and then they disown the plan or somehow it falls through and there's no money there or in your trust, then you basically blow money that you didn't have to blow. So again, as a certified estate planner and as somebody who's helped people with a lot of special needs trusts, including for my own daughter, which now we don't need, but be happy to help walk you through that situation. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just putting in the disclaimers that say, hey, this money is in trust. It's set aside for my daughter's benefit, but she will not receive any money in an amount that would take her off of any particular government benefits that she receives, period. And so, you know, that disclaimer language allows your trustee, the other daughter, I assume, or whoever you choose to withhold those assets and not make them available in order to have her bumped off of benefits that she would otherwise be receiving, you know, as an adult. Steve, thanks for that question. You've definitely touched our hearts uh, here with Jeff and I, and uh, we invite our listeners to check out the Autism Society of Southern Arizona. They definitely need your help. And the website is as-az.org. That's as-az.org. They're doing some wonderful work. Our next question comes from Charlie in Oro Valley related to Roth conversions. Charlie says, I've been listening to your shows for years. I look forward to our walks together every Saturday. Thank you, Charlie. My wife and I are both 62 and have recently retired. We're blessed to have a resilient plan in place with assets over $10 million. Now that I have some spare time, I've started looking at optimizing our plan relative to taxes and estate planning. Like many baby boomers, we have a lot of money in pre-tax assets, about $3.5 million. That'll lead to some large required minimum distributions in the future or to large tax burdens to our two children and seven grandchildren. Due to some deferred compensation I receive for the next five years, I don't see our tax rate dropping below 32%. We have a donor-advised fund that will meet all of our charitable plans for the future. My question is that given our tax rates, should we be using Roth conversions or just wait until we start taking required minimum distributions? My main concern is I really would like to avoid leaving a big tax bill for the family, but also cringe at April tax time. I know that was a long question, Jeff, so I'll let you answer it. Well, let's just say there's a bigger picture than the one you're presenting here. I mean, tax-wise, you haven't even talked about the biggest tax you're going to suffer, and that is the estate tax. Now, maybe you've thought about it, but Roth conversions aren't going to save you from the estate tax. There's a different plan that I'm going to have you consider. Now, if you're both 62, you've got probably, let's just say you lived in 90, that's three decades. And generally speaking, $10 million will generate, if you wanted to, about $30 million in cash flow if you want to use it all up. Now, you probably don't spend a million dollars a year. I'm guessing that because you've saved $10 million, unless you you know, were CEO of Amazon or something. But you haven't probably spent anywhere near above or even at your means of expenditure. So I'm guessing you're going to acquire and you're going to grow that asset base. So let's say you only spend a couple hundred thousand a year because you've got all your bills paid. And when RMD comes in 10 years, maybe that $3.5 million is now, if it only grows by 7%, and let's say it does it just for sake of purposes of this conversation, you're going to have $7 million in pre-tax assets. And those are going to be forced upon you at approximately 4% the first year. And it's going to grow to 10%, then 20%, then 25% by the time you're 100. So let's just say you're at 4%, 4% of $7 million, what? $280,000 on top of your social security and other things. Yeah. You're going to be in the 32% tax bracket forever. Oh, and it just goes up from there. What if right now, if our top tax bracket is 37% for the next three years, what if you paid 37% now on all that money? You go, wow, I'd have to come up with a 
million dollars. Yeah, you would. You come up with a million dollars. But what if that $7 million that's going to be $7 million in the next 10 years becomes, let's say, $10 million in forced income and another 7 to 10 in leftover assets for the kids to pay tax on? Oh, by the way, and I haven't talked about estate taxes yet. That's a 40% tax rate. We'll talk about that later. So I think in 20 or 30 years, you know, you're going to end up, if you don't pay a million now, I mean, let's just say that, to do either a Roth conversion over the next three years and say, screw it, man, I'm in the top tax bracket. But I guess I I'd almost be willing to bet a significant amount of money, I mean, serious amount of money, the top tax bracket will not be 37% or even 39% 10 or 20 years from now. It's not going to happen. It's a, It can't. They can't do math that way and keep our government functioning the way they print money. So the, it's just not going to happen. So for you, yeah, look at 40% or better as your future tax rate and look at paying taxes now if you can on as much money as possible. By the way, you can pull out $340,000, $350,000 in taxable income per year for the next three years and only pay a marginal tax bracket of 24 right now. That 32 that you're talking about, I think, is what you considered you'd never be below that 32 going forward in the future. So plus you got some deferred compensation for the next five years. That's probably an accelerated payout of a pension, which by the way, may be available to actually put into either an IRA, convert it to a Roth later, or here's another thing. If you got three and a half million in pre-tax dollars, you know, maybe you've got a few million dollars in real estate, another few million in after or already tax dollars, which, you know, may generate dividends, may generate some capital gains, taxes, maybe mutual funds that generate, uh, you know, trading gains that you don't even know what's going to be until the end of the year. And so you have this surprise tax bill. What if you could put this all in a plan where you know within a reasonable maybe 10 or 20 or thousand dollars or so what your worst and best case tax situation will be, pre-plan it out and keep yourself in a low tax bracket and give your kids a tax-free estate. Now, here's what I'm talking about. If you're, let's say you only spend a few hundred thousand dollars a year to live on and that's plenty because you have all your bills paid and that $10 million estate in 30 years, let's say it's, it doesn't even double twice or three times. If it doubles three times, do you realize that at 7% annualized rate of return, if you didn't spend money, it would be about $80 million. You realize that if it doubles three times. So if you spend half and only doubles, only half that money doubles, you're still looking at 30 or 40 million potential dollars. That's a lot. Now you can do a couple of things. You can either leave those IRAs, take the minimum amount, pay taxes on it, whatever the bracket is, leave all that money to a charitable remainder trust and have the trust keep 10% as their actual charitable remainder, but give 90% out to your heirs over, you know, the next couple of generations. So you've got, you know, nine heirs between the kids and grandkids, right? So, you know, that's one way to do it. Or what you could do is pre-plan your estate plan by moving into something called an islet, irrevocable life insurance trust. Let me just back up here. If you have $40 million in taxable assets when you die, based on what they're planning to do, right now there's about $23 million you can have in estate value and get out of estate taxes right now. But that's not gonna last forever. Nobody believes that. Everything in the green book, everything in any proposals say that they're looking at moving that estate tax limit to about $4 million per spouse or about $7 million combined for single or spouse kind of as a household basis. So let's just say it's $8 million. You don't have to pay tax on the first $8 million of the 40 when you die when you're 90, but you have to pay tax at 40% on the remaining 32 million. Okay, even if it's in Roth IRAs, even if it's in life insurance, even if it's in real estate, even if you get a stepped up basis on income tax on any of it, there's still a 40% estate tax. What is that? $12 million? Are you ready to pay $12 million to the IRS when you die? You're complaining about paying an extra, what, 20 or 30 or 100,000 now by doing a Roth conversion. Wait till you're dead. 
and you can't even do anything about it. And your kids can't either. Oh, and they only have nine months to come up with the money. They have to sell real estate at fire sales or sell stock when the market's down or other things like that. You could be put in a situation where you lose even more money based on just market cycles that you might be in when you and your wife end up passing away. So again, you have a lot more problems in this income tax issue. It's a, it's a future state taxes. So what if you took some of that maybe few million dollars that you have in non-qualified or in other words, non-IRA assets. Let's say you converted since you have to take the RMDs out anyway, and you just started taking $300,000 out of your IRAs per year, just paid taxes on them out of your after-tax money, but use that $300,000 that you take out of your IRAs now and called it gifts to your kids and grandkids. Now, you and your wife both can give a little over $15,000 a year per kid or per heir and call it a gift and be exempt from the gift tax, which is basically an estate tax that you would have to pay on any amount over and above that. So that puts you close, you're pushing about three hundred grand. So if you could come up with 270, 280, 300 grand, somewhere in that range, this is rounded, into an islet, you could move that asset outside of your estate and buy perhaps, oh, let's say probably eight or $10 million in death benefit outside of your estate, which means now you give $10 million tax-free outside of your estate instead of that, let's say over the next you know several years, you, you, you have to take IRA money out and you end up taking out six or $7 million out of it. You pay almost half of it in taxes between state and you only have a few million of that left. And then your kids have to spend 40% of that in taxes. So you know, 10 million in actual assets becomes you know two or 3 million net. Well, in this case, you can actually move assets out of your estate, not have it be included in your estate and save yourself what's a probably 40% of that. Um, you're looking at the equivalent of about $6 million in future taxes. By paying taxes now on money, you're going to have to pay taxes at a similar rate over the rest of your life anyway. And you get to reduce your estate by paying taxes now. Anyway, bottom line is when you put it all out on a spreadsheet, I could probably show you 10 or $20 million in taxes saved over the course of your lifetime. Wow. If you want to do a plan. Is that worth spending an hour or two with me? Actually, it'd probably be more than, more than a few hours. But is that worth it? Oh, heck yeah. Why not? Yeah. Or you could just say, well, I just want to build a really big estate. I want to have $100 million. And I don't care if I give 40 or $50 million to the IRS. Or maybe 60 or $80 million because they're going to estate tax me even at a higher level in 30 years because they have to balance the budget. And they don't really care about my money because they think it was all because the government was my friend that I acquired all these assets anyway. No, it's because of you. And you should be able to keep your money. That's why our slogan of our company is it's your money. Keep it that way for heck's sake. It's your money. Keep it that way. It's your money. It's not the IRS money. You've earned it. Keep as much of it as you can. Now, hey, it's okay to pay your fair share, but would you rather pay now when rates are lower on less money or would you rather pay later at a higher rate on more money? I mean, that logically says you should pay now, right? Pay now. Pay me now. Pay me later. Bottom line is you got to do a plan. Charlie, thanks for that question. We're going to be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. If you would like to get that book, you can do it two ways. One of which is to send us a question. If we answer it on the air, of course, we will send you out that book. That's very simple. You can send us your question. Simply go to primret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. You can contact us from there. The other way that you can read that book is simply go to primret.com, upper right-hand corner. There is a resources tab, and under that, you will find book. You can download your free copy of Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead, right there. We appreciate you listening to us, and we'll have more questions for you next week. In the meantime, if you've got questions like Steve and Charlie had and you didn't have a chance to get them answered on the air, you can do that by getting your Premier Retirement Roadmap. And you can do that by calling 520-780-9059. It's not going to cost you a dime. It'll take about an hour of your time, but it could be the best time investment that you'll ever make. Once again, 520-780-9059. No cost for this. There is no obligation 
question whatsoever, just a friendly conversation between you and Jeff. So you can ask Jeff your individual questions and get the answers tailored specifically for you. You can also request your plan online at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, let's talk about strategies for investing after retirement. I guess the first question is, why is it important to continue to invest once you're retired or continue investing on into retirement? Well, it may or may not be. It may not be your cup of tea. It may not be a fit for you. Uh, some people do really fine with just guaranteed income that you know takes care of all their uh, bills, and they don't really care to have to watch the market. And it's just uh, you know a stomach ache for them. Other people really like the rush that they get from having some money exposed to the market and the upside. They like to be aggressive on some of their money. Some people have so much guaranteed income that they can risk all of their money. Everybody has a different risk tolerance, a different value system, and a different reason for investing. But I believe that you know unless you just want to stick your money in cash and spend it down to nothing, which honestly some people can do, and you can do that in an immediate annuity. They're kind of old school and you basically buy a pension and it dies when you die and that's it. Well, old pensions were like that. Those annuities kind of give annuities a bad name, to be honest with you. But there are a lot of ways to buy principal protected products that are strategies that are available in products that are available through insurance companies that have guaranteed principal, but still rely on the market upside to generate the gains on those products. So I think investing, even though maybe some of these products that I'm talking about, these strategies I'm talking about for people that don't really want a lot of risk because they don't want downside still have the ability to make money on the upside. I think making money on the upside is important because you know whether it's fixed interest at three or 4%, I mean, shoot, I didn't like bonds at one or two and CDs at zero, but I kind of like the world we're in right now where people pay a fair rate of interest to borrow and they also get a fair rate of interest you know, when they park money someplace and save uh, without taking risk. So again, investing is basically parking money to hopefully get a return, right? Isn't that what we're doing? Sometimes people, an investment is just an investment in peace of mind where you just want to park money and know it's there for an emergency. So I don't consider an emergency fund a non-investment. That's an investment. It's an investment in part of the needs that you need to consider for your portfolio and for your total plan. But as far as the upside goes, you know, I think to the extent that you can afford to take a loss or to not freak out if the market's down, if it's a third of your portfolio, a quarter of your portfolio or whatever, invest in something that has long-term upside potential. You know, I think AI does have upside potential. I just think the potential has already been more than priced into the stocks that are going to be the players in the AI space. I think the players that are going to end up doing really well in the AI space are companies we haven't even heard about yet. Companies that are, you know, niche products that uh, build stuff for these bigger companies that are getting all the market attention right now as far as AI. we got the Microsoft's Apple, that even Tesla and Amazon are in the AI space considering, you know, AI companies, you know, uh, NVIDIA being their, their chip. But, you know, NVIDIA is not the only chip maker yet. Shoot, their market cap would suggest that they're the only ones going to ever sell a chip to anything AI. So, you know, are we willing to pay, you know, three or four times what a stock should be worth now because it might be worth that in five or 10 years? I don't know. What that means is you're going to probably have to wait till it's really valued at that. And I don't think it's going to be overvalued for such a long time that you're going to be happy buying in right now if you're not already in kind of a buy and hold scenario. Now, now, some of our clients are buy and hold for some of their assets. When the market got ugly last year, the vast majority of our clients, they would, they would trust me to measure the risk reward. And if the market is more risky than reward oriented, then we go on the sidelines and make fixed rate of interest until the market looks a little bit more promising. The market looks promising if you look at the trend that is going up, but the market doesn't look promising if you look at the underlying fundamentals that earnings really aren't growing. They might have bounced higher than their downward revised estimate from a quarter ago, but that doesn't mean that they're thriving. They're still maybe not on track of what they were two years ago when they were on a growth trajectory, yet sometimes the price of those stocks have gone back to what they were before the market crashed. Yet 
earnings are less, price earnings ratios are higher. You know, can we really, you know, with the credit cycle the way it is with high interest rates and less people buying things, can we really get that robust economy where people are buying so much that the GDP grows at a rate that's much higher or at least as good as the uh, growth rate on the the inflation. I mean, if inflation is higher than the GDP growth rate, then really, it's really just inflation. It's not really growth, right? It's because they're using the actual revenues to determine what GDP growth is. They're using actual costs of different things to determine what our inflation rate is. And we're still having inflation. So, you know, are we really in a good place to start jumping in the market when it's already priced higher than it is historically ever? Again, do we want to buy into the dot-com boom in 1999? No, the time to buy in the dot-com boom would have been 1996 or 95, right? And ride it up for four years and get out in 1999 before it crashed 80%. So, you know, I think this AI, there's probably going to be some shakeup. There's probably still room for, you know, the, I guess the actual definition of recession to occur. Still have almost a year left before that window of opportunity and probability disappears, even though the highest probability is right where we're sitting now. And because one big brokerage firm says, oh, we got good earnings in banking in the XYZ sector and some company bought a bunch of tractors. So the Dow went up. That means uh, we're not having a recession. Well, that doesn't mean anything. When you look at people that are canceling their Netflix at 20 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month because they can't afford food because inflation is still growing at 3%, that's still a problem. So again, I I think you have to look at the whole picture. You have to look at timing. If you want to be a long-term buy and hold investor, just buy good solid stocks and just ride them. But don't get freaked out and call me and go, oh my gosh, Jeff, Apple's down 20 bucks. What should we do? So no, if you bought Apple because you want to hold it till you die, then hold it till you die, you know, and and let that be your stock portfolio or your buy and hold portfolio. If you're trying to uh, time the market so you can make a little bit of money, but you don't want to lose money in the bad markets, then we need a little bit more of a tactical approach. We'll be in the market when it looks like we have a better opportunity for growth and the pricing is fair. If the pricing is high and it looks like the odds are against us, then let's not be in the market, even if other people do drive it up. Yeah, just because you can run across the freeway full of cars and you might not get hit doesn't mean it's a wise idea (laughs) because there's a really good chance you're going to get squashed and more often you will. So again, you know, you don't want to be, you know, playing with fire or playing in a, you know, in a dangerous area. And I think the stock market is a little bit dangerous right now, unless you can afford to ride it out for a while. So again, everybody's different. Everybody's got a different style of investing. Everybody's got a different risk tolerance. Some people are learning what their risk tolerance is right now, last year and this year, because it's the first time they haven't had a job with a paycheck that paid all their bills and they've been relying on their investments. And if that's the case, then visit with your financial advisor or come see us and we'll put a plan together so that you can at least get to a level of where you're only risking the amount of money you can afford to risk and you're living on the money that will pay all your bills and give you the peace of mind knowing that no matter what happens in the market, you're going to wake up next year to a mailbox full of checks that'll pay all your bills that month. If you have questions about whether or not you should invest in retirement, uh, once again, call Jeff at Premier Retirement, 520-780-9059, and ask for your Premier Retirement Roadmap. Again, no cost and no obligation for that. It's 520-780-9059, or you can request it online at premred.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, thank the fine people here of the greater Tucson area for listening to us. For Jeff Vogan, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona State Registered Investment Advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade Insurance, and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying abilities of the insuring carrier. This show is intended for informational purposes only, not to be construed as 
this advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Premier. Premier and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered. Being a millionaire today isn't what it used to be, and many who have saved a million dollars don't feel like a millionaire. If you've worked hard and have been fortunate enough to save a million dollars or more for your retirement, you should have an investment strategy to match. Hi, I'm Jeff Bogan from Premier Wealth Advisors, and we specialize in helping high net worth individuals build on the success that they've already created. We want you to keep your lifestyle forever, and that's why we're relentless when it comes to protecting what you have. We'll help you combat unnecessary fees that higher net worth investors pay through overlapping investments and keep you from paying too much in taxes. Although most of the families we serve have saved a million dollars, I take a blue collar approach to financial planning. Like many of you, I was not born with a silver spoon and can understand just how hard you work for your money. So whether you've saved a modest amount or over a million dollars, Premier Wealth Advisors exists to help you grow your nest egg and to provide everyone the service and advice they need to feel like a millionaire. Call now, 520-780-9059 or visit us at premret.com. That's P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Investment advisory services offered through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC and Arizona State Registered Investment Advisor.